Hey there, welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations on food and farming. I'm Katie Federal, and today I'm chatting with my friend Sarah Lindblom about herbs and medicinals. You might remember her from an earlier episode on a caterpillar tunnel project. She's in her sixth season of running Solar Fresh Produce, her diversified CSA farm. Over the years, she's expanded her cultivation of both culinary and medicinal herbs, finding benefits for her soil and biodiversity and an edge at the farmer's market. Let's get right to it. Hey, Sarah, how's it going? Hey, good. How about you? Doing good, thanks. Uh, So I'm really curious, what got you started growing herbs and teas on your farm? Sure. So I was um, already growing some herbs when I first started doing the CSA in 2015, like basil, um, parsley, cilantro, herbs good that were good for the CSA shares. And I have a twin sister who at the time was a restaurant chef. And she one day was like, oh, we should grow more herbs. <laughs> and it kind of just snowballed from there. Um, I was actually at an SFA conference and I saw a session by Connie Karstens, an herbalist in Hutchinson. So I just checked that out, knowing that I was going to try and maybe grow more herbs than I had done in the past. And she was so enthusiastic about herbalism and she had great information. I got one of her little booklets that she had available and it had was kind of the intro to medicinal herbs for me. I hadn't really been familiar with some of these herbs she was talking about and I was intrigued. And um, that was a few years ago and I'm still um, growing and expanding the different herbs that I'm growing now. So that was kind of some of the impetus was thinking about culinary herbs and it kind of just ended up going in the direction of medicinal herbs too. All right on. Uh, What are a few of the the various herbs then that you grow? Yeah. So like I mentioned, a lot of the culinary herbs that I put in the CSA shares, um, basil is one of my favorite herbs for both medicinal and culinary purposes. Um, I grow parsley, sage, thyme, oregano, rosemary, mint, um, most of those culinary herbs, but there's some other just interesting medicinal herbs that I've learned about. Um, Holy basil or Tulsi is a type of basil that is just delicious when it's fresh or dried and it has um, amazing medicinal properties purported by the Ayurvedic kind of a medicinal system. And, um, and marshmallow has become a favorite herb. It's a perennial that's really easy to grow. And it has a really like soothing, cooling properties to it. And you can use the flower, the leaf, but the root is the most potent part. Um, and then some of the other medicinal herbs that I like to grow are like calendula is very easy to grow or um, trying to think, now I'm spacing out on some of the medicinal herbs I like to grow, but there are just so many. (laughs) Um, Those are, I mean, if I had to list a few of my favorite medicinal herbs, those would be a couple off off the top of my head there to grow in your own garden. Okay. And for the, the holy basil, I'm curious then, do you is that for teas? Can you cook with that since it's it toes the line, it sounds between culinary and medicinal? 
Definitely. That's a great question because I think people might get afraid of putting like a medicinal herb in like a pesto, for example, but there's no reason you couldn't do a pesto with holy basil. Um, you can even mix that in with like a regular basil just to get more flavors going on. I like to make pesto with just any whatever is happens to be fresh at the moment. Um, like lemon balm is or mint you can throw in with your pesto and it really just like ups the benefit that you're getting from it. Um, even thinking like throwing like a Thai basil mint combination in with like a lettuce wrap, um, you're really like using herbalism. You're being an herbalist, even just cooking with, with some of these herbs that are considered both culinary and medicinal. Oh gosh, that makes me so excited for some pesto and like chimichurri sauce and oh man. Yeah, that's a great, it's a great way to use herbs is just making a pesto sauce that you can then just put on basically anything that you're eating for dinner that night. So how do you sell all these herbs? Um, like fresh, dried, what, what's kind of your gamut there? Sure. So I mentioned that I put a lot of herbs in the CSA and I include a lot of information in like my newsletter about how to utilize those herbs, especially if it's some sort of medicinal herb or something that might not be as familiar. But um, herb marketing, especially for the tea blends, I found is a whole different ballgame than just boxing up some produce and putting it in a CSA box. Um, if you're selling an herbal tea blend, the packaging and the presentation is really important when you're at like the farmer's market to sell that blend. Um, you want to have a lot of information, but not too much information, and also just display the product so that people can see what the quality is. Um, and then I also sell fresh herbs at um, the farmer's market in the past when I was doing the farmer's market. Um, and the nice thing about selling fresh herbs at the farmer's market and also doing dry herbs is whatever you have, you know, whatever I have left at the end of the farmer's market day, I will just um, dry those. And those can then be used in either culinary or medicinal herb blends. And then I do also um, make some culinary dry herb blends as well that I kind of market alongside the dry herbal tea blends at um, winter markets. And I kind of focus on those for winter markets because it's the time of year when people are doing more cooking, drinking more tea, and it gives me time in the summer to focus on creating the product and harvesting the, the product and getting a high quality product. And then in the winter, I can focus more on the labeling, the blending of the dry herbs and the marketing. And so are there any different regulations that people need to be aware of for selling like your herbal teas and medicinals versus your tomatoes and your, your squash? Sure. Um, I was actually really excited when I uh, to find out that the regulations are really um, forgiving for the farmer or the grower. As long as you're not adding like a salt to your herb blend or as long as you're not adding herbs that you didn't grow yourself, you're actually able to market those dry herbs pretty much anywhere without additional licensing or inspecting or facilities. So it's a great way to get in, um, into value-added processing without having to worry about those things. And you can direct market to consumers. You could sell on a website. You could even 
sell those dry herbs to a retail, like a grocery store, and they can then sell those herbs without having any special licensing or anything. If you, like I say, started to add like a salt to a culinary blend, or if you wanted to use herbs or something you don't grow at your farm, then you'd be looking at more regulation, inspections, licensing. And it's worth noting that it's even less um, restrictive than cottage licensing, especially around the labeling. Um, I always include a description of what exactly is in any tea blend, culinary or medicinal, which herbs are in it. I list them individually. But um, technically, you're not even required to do that. You can just write like a blend of herbs and, or spices. And um, I do like to kind of look at best practices in terms of cottage foods and, um, and just um, good manufacturing practices in terms of the labeling, but it's, it's nice that there's not as much strict regulation about both the labeling, packaging, and processing for dry herbs. Oh, absolutely. That sounds a lot more easy to get going on than I had expected. Yeah, it's considered a product of the farm. So it's similar actually to sell like regulations to selling like maple syrup, honey, or produce. It's fairly unregulated. Oh, so do selling these type of products, uh, are you finding that helps you stand out in the marketplace? Is it pretty unique? I've noticed that most farmers markets um, that I've been to, which is fairly limited, um, don't have tea blend producers. Um, it's definitely something I've seen on the list of types of vendors that farmers markets are looking for more of are herbs and dry herbs. Um, I think another reason it makes you stand out is because it's something that really creates a conversation with the customer. And um, when you're talking about those dry herbs, it really gives you a chance to paint the picture of what your garden looks like in the summer and why um, why it ties in with soil health practices at the farm. So it gives you a chance to um, educate the customer about your operation. And I think people are just really drawn to and fascinated by herbs. It's becoming such, um, I think, an in-demand uh, area of, uh, for consumers that people are really looking to learn more and are also educated and have like interesting things to contribute and say, I always learn different things when I'm talking to customers um, about, especially about the herbal tea blends. So I remember you telling me that this year you're not doing the farmer's markets. Do you have an alternative method of selling your teas? Are you able to just pretty much do online or through your CSA? So um, I'm not 100% sure what's going to be happening in terms of winter markets and down the road. Um, that's part of the reason that I'm still going to continue to focus on the dry herbal tea blends is that it's something I can kind of put the effort right now into harvesting, drying, growing the herbs. And um, I'm not going to worry too much yet about that piece because I have a few ideas in mind. I was thinking of doing a winter CSA that I've never really done that before and, and possibly including dry herbal tea blends in that. Um, I'm also thinking this winter might give me a chance to kind of improve the online website sales of the herbal tea blends. So I think, um, especially if you're like shifting, if you're a farmer who's shifting what your focus is gonna be, if there's a way you can think about 
maybe you've lost markets now, but there's a product that you could hedge for just having available this winter, at least it'll give you time to kind of make sure you do have a product and give you time to think about the marketing and whatnot. So that's kind of my plan is to just really take this time to focus on creating a really high quality product and um, planning on what the marketing is going to look like this winter, whether that be winter markets or if that's shifting to more online sales and, and mailing and shipping the product. So we'll kind of have to see how it goes in terms of that, but I'm still at a pretty small scale that I'm able to adapt to what I think the market will, will have in store for us this winter. So, And I know you're really attentive to soil health on your farm. So how does your herb production, how does that all fit into your practices? Yeah, when um, back when I first started thinking about growing more herbs, it just kind of was all of a sudden like a no-brainer. Like it just seemed that if I was growing vegetables, mixing herbs into the mix was going to have um, enough benefits that even if, say, I didn't have time to get around to doing all of the creating the dry herbal products, I would still see benefits from having the herbs just by their mere presence in the garden. Um, and the reasons for that, that I've observed, um, is just A, of course, bringing pollinators, the different variety of herbs will attract a wider variety of pollinators and just help keep the insect population more in balance. Um, that's part of why I try to focus on growing several native type herbs that will help bring native pollinators. Um, I've also noticed just mixing in perennials and different, um, different types of plants brings more biodiversity. It just creates, it goes that soil health principle of creating more diversity. It really gets to that. Um, and then just like I said, with perennials having living roots in the soil that are there um, and the benefits of companion planting with, for example, planting dill next to your cabbage and broccoli. Um, or planting parsley or other umbelliferies next to certain crops to help attract predators or to help attract beneficial insect um, populations. So there's just a whole list of reasons why it seems like there are great benefits to incorporating herbs into a vegetable garden. And I'm sure I will still discover more benefits the longer that I do this. Um, and I, I'm curious just to find out as things progress, as I do it longer, um, just seeing what benefits I will get more more down the road, I guess. Could you define, um, did you say umbelliferies? An umbellifery is like anything in basically the carrot family. So that includes, um, if you think about planting a fennel, will help attract a, the swallowtail population. Um, carrots, celery, celeriac, parsley, parsnip, all of those vegetables are in the, the umbellifery. I may not even be pronouncing that right. I don't know. <laughs> but I believe it's umbellifery. It's such a great word. I was like, ooh, that is yeah. a new one. <laughs> That's really neat. And I, I know you're six years in here, but uh, yeah, from what I've gathered from other farmers too, is just the the benefits of soil health practices just unfold like for decades. And so, yeah, I'm curious too, to see what you keep learning that way too. Um, 
Oh, there's Dexter in the back. There's Dexter. <laughs> He's, he found something. <laughs> Love a good dog at the other end of the, the Zoom meeting. Oh, for sure. <laughs> And so I'm curious, uh, so I am like more of an at-home gardener or windowsill gardener. Uh, do you have any particular suggestions for herbal varieties to grow on a really small scale? Sure. And it's worth noting that a lot of herbs do really well in pots and in container gardening. Um, I get a ton of enjoyment from my container tabletop garden and just a lot of herbs even from a small not if you don't even really need a garden space to have herbs growing. Um, some of my favorite container herbs are thyme, sage, rosemary, marjoram, basil. Um, holy basil would be a great tabletop garden herb. Um, calendula is even another name as pot marigold for calendula, so that actually grows well in pots. Um, so that's a good way to go to get started or to go about it if you don't have a lot of space. And, you know, if you're a home gardener, again, if you're growing vegetables, that looking for different herb companions is a good way to get more herbs and take, you know, make the most of your space. So some good um, companions, basil and tomato is a classic companion. I mentioned dill and cucurbits, cucumbers and um, Coal crops, so like broccoli, cabbage, dill goes great with those vegetables. And just anywhere that you need a little ground cover, you know, slip in some time, you know, <laughs> or if, if you have an area that is gets a little neglected and you don't want mint to maybe take over your raised garden box, stick it in like a part sun corner of the yard where you don't have to worry about it taking over. Same with oregano. And those perennials will come back year after year. So if you have a spot that you can, you know, be gardening longer term, those are great to just get planted and then you'll be getting the benefits down the road without having to do all that extra work in the spring every year. Um, so, and I think if you're a home gardener, get herbs is a really good place to get started. You can kind of learn the nuances of both seed starting and just caring for the little plants and then graduate to like, tomatoes and zucchini, cucumbers, things that maybe require more fertility, more trellising, a little bit more space. So I think herbs are a great gateway into gardening for home gardeners. And they're also a great high value, you know, thing to grow. So if you want to focus your energy on something that might save you a little more money, herbs are, fresh herbs are so expensive. And dry herbs, if you can dry your own herbs at home, the flavor is just, doesn't compare to store-bought. So I think it's a good place to put your energy if you're a home gardener is with, with herbs. And start, the other tip would just be start small, pick out a few things that pique your interest, and then kind of go from there. Because if you bite off more than you can chew, you might end up with no, no successes instead of a few really good successes. So... Right. That is that is some good gardening advice that I've heard time after time is just like pick stuff you like, start small, then you'll like be sure to actually get something out of it that you get to eat. <laughs> exactly. And sprinkling a little bit of herbs on your food, you don't need a lot and it just goes such a long way when you're cooking to have fresh herbs right on hand. And so then on the flip side, if you have a lot of space, if you're farming, um, what kind of opportunities for herbs open up just with, you know, having more space to do it? 
Sure. So I mentioned um, companion planting. Um, I think on a larger scale, sometimes that gets a little bit neglected or, or just forgotten about because it's um, a little bit harder to implement if you're using equipment and machinery. But at the same time, if you have a window of opportunity to sneak in an herb in that space where a vegetable isn't really taking up that space yet and the soil is just kind of there bare, that's a good opportunity to sneak an herb in right alongside of that vegetable. Um, the example I keep coming back to is cabbage and dill. So planting a whole row of dill right along your cabbage you could either pull it out as the cabbage needs more space, or you can even just leave it behind and let it go to seed. And if you have that space to let that go to seed, you can leave that. There's Dexter again. Um, you can leave it go to seed, and it will continue to provide those benefits of attracting pollinators even after it's maybe not even harvestable and. Um, maybe you're not going to get to that space for cultivation, you know, anyway. Another thing to point out is when you are companion planting, just to make sure you do give things enough space and keep in mind that if you're going to companion plant like basil and tomatoes, for example, those tomatoes start so small, but you want to make sure you're going to give the basil enough space that you can actually find it once the tomatoes get bigger and grow in. Um, you're going to need to make sure to leave plenty of space so that the basil doesn't get to um, it gets enough airflow so that you can keep disease to a minimum. But there are definitely challenges when you go up in scale and size and as a farm. Um, I feel like sometimes these things are the first things that get a little bit let go of when you are busy is sneaking in those herb companion plants that will have those biological um, benefits. So it's important to just kind of remember that as you're getting your garden planted. Even if you can't do companion planting, maybe set aside an area either for flowering herbs or for native plants, native herbs, just to have that set aside and um, have that presence on the farm if, if you can't manage to companion plant them right alongside the vegetables. So how do you ensure that you get a quality product like post-harvest when you're doing the processing? Sure. So when you're, um, I guess the first step would be just to make sure you're harvesting the herbs correctly in the first place. So I like to make sure I do that at the time of day when the moisture has dried from the leaves or the, the petals, foliage, but before the heat of the day has really set in. And then as soon as I harvest the leaves, I usually, depending on the herb, most of the time will wash it in cooler cold water um, and then get it in the drying area right away as soon as possible after harvesting it. Um, I also, it's worth noting just when you do harvest herbs, especially if you're harvesting like native medicinal herbs that have cultural significance for, um, for example, like native, local native groups of people, native communities, it's good to just get yourself in a clear state of mind before you harvest um, and take a, just a minute to give some gratitude towards the land before and to the herb and the plant before you harvest it. Um, some people will even ask permission, um, whatever kind of works for you, just making sure that you're harvesting that herb in a respectful way. So then after you harvest your herb, making sure to only take the best, nicest looking leaves, 
usually taking the leaves that are not the oldest, but also not the youngest, and usually also not going to seed unless that's the part that you're trying to harvest or if you're, you're trying to harvest the flower. So kind of figure out what type of part of the plant you're harvesting. Um, and then when you dry the herbs, you just have to make sure you're paying attention to the temperature and humidity. Usually, I think it's around like 90 to 100 degrees is, is considered ideal temperature for the herbs for drying. And then you just obviously want low humidity, a good airflow while in the area where you're drying the herbs and also out of direct sunlight. Direct sunlight will degrade the quality and the color of the herbs. So then I just use um, a combination of baskets. I have some drying screens that I made with um, like a stainless steel screen that I use for when I have a lot of bigger quantity of herbs. Um, and then I also use like a laundry drying rack and I will just hang little bundles of herbs on those racks in just like usually like bundles of like 10 stems per bundle of certain herbs. And just make sure your herbs aren't touching each other. They're, you wanna kind of keep them separate as you're drying them. And then just keep an eye on them, flip them like every couple of days maybe if you think it will, would be useful. It should take like about a week, maybe more, maybe like a few days to a couple weeks depending on the moisture level of the herbs and the humidity. So just pay attention, make sure that there's not um, areas that you have herbs piled up too high. If you notice any mold or mildew, just get rid of that as soon as possible so it doesn't spread to any of the herbs. And you kind of learn as you go how much airflow you really need to make sure that the herbs don't get a mold or mildew growing. And then once the herbs are like crackle dry to the touch, but they should still be green or vibrant colored, I will usually transfer them at that point to like a paper bag. And that way it's still a little bit breathable if there is a little bit of moisture left. And eventually you could transfer it to like a mason jar if you wanted to do that, um, making sure there's no moisture left in the herbs or anything like that. And you can also even get like desiccant packets to put in if you have some higher moisture herbs that you're worried about, you can find those at various places to put in with the herbs. Gosh, lots of great tips there. And now I know that, I mean, it sounds like I can use those in my own home too on a small scale. So that's. Yeah, definitely. I would say certain herbs are, are really easy to dehydrate, like oregano, thyme, rosemary, and sage. They're very low moisture, so they're hard to screw up even if you don't have a dehydrator. But if you do have a food dehydrator, um, if it's pretty humid out, it's nice to use that for certain things like basil, mint, anything that just seems like higher moisture. If you wanna do like garlic or peppers for herb blends too, a dehydrator is a nice investment. So one last question for you. Um, have you learned any cool fact lately about one of the herbs that you grow or something that uh, you found really interesting? I just um, have noticed, and I forage a little bit for some of, most of the herb blends I make have both cultivated and wild foraged herbs. I like to do a combination of both. And I have just noticed a ton of wild lettuce at the farm this summer. It kind of looks like 
a cross between like thistle and dandelion. It's like a grayish green. And it's, um, I just think it's interesting. It's showing up that it's been this like hot, dry spring so far. And wild lettuce is such a cooling, moistening herb. And it's a little bit more bitter than like a regular lettuce. So that kind of gets the system going. But just noticing it and like when you see like an herb growing at your house or your farm, if especially if it catches your attention, it's always worth just like looking into what that herb is for. It might be just exactly what you need. And I, I feel like wild lettuce is just like the herb that I need right now to try and like hydrate and like get through this this dry spell. So <laughs> Oh gosh, no kidding. Yeah, it's been such a hot week. That's <laughs> what a nice coincidence there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. I'm sure we'll have you back again soon. Yeah, thank you for uh, talking. And I hope that you learned a couple things to use in your garden this summer. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah, no kidding. And I, I feel like people will be able, you, you provided a great entry point for people to get started or um, even for folks who are already growing herbs, I'm sure will have some things to take away from that and uh, improve their operation a little bit. Awesome. Yeah. Herbalism for everybody. <laughs> Love that. Yes. Oh, that's the title right there. Perfect. <laughs> Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. We believe that agriculture, done well, heals. For more resources or to tap into the Farmer to Farmer Network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.